As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. We're back with the latest episode of Run and Plays. Logan Murdoch, Kareth Burke. It's yeah, brought yeah, to you by yeah. Wendy's. Wendy's. Make sure you put that in there. <laughs> We're Off talking top. about the, the nuggets and the frosties. Thank you, Wendy's. Um, this is one of my all-time favorite interviews. Really? Gary Payton. Yeah. Okay. okay, so I know I'm I'm from Washington. I usually just tell people I'm from Seattle because everybody knows where that is. I'm from South. I'm, like, on I-5. Um, but I'm an Army kid, so it's kind of like I'm sort of from there, but I'm not from there. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the Mariners, the Sonics, the Seahawks, all that stuff, I keep an eye on them. Everybody knows who Gary Payton is. Yes. It was, like, Sean Kemp. It was Detlef Shrimp. It was uh, Nate McMillan. Yes. Um, they play at Key Arena. Anyway, I remember Gary Payton when I was growing up. And so when I had this chance to interview him, which, by the way, I need to thank you because we got to explain to the people how this came through. Um, You reached out to get this interview, and then you were reassigned to um, Draymond's Jersey Retirement Ceremony. You graciously let me have this interview. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. No worries. No worries at all. Also, Um, I just want to say, before we get to this, before we start listening, you are a legend in your own right, and I'm pretty sure you killed this interview. Oh, gosh. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So I was like, this is Gary Payton, and there are very few athletes that I would ever get starstruck by, and I wasn't even sure if Gary would be one of them. But then, before this interview, that Monday Night Football commercial came out. It was in Seattle because the Sonics were playing. So there was Gary Payton out of nowhere. There was Sean Kemp out of nowhere. I was watching that on Twitter that night. And you can see that snarl that Gary Payton has. You know, like his lip curls up. He's, like, giving this, like, rapid-fire delivery. Like, he's tough. He's awesome. And I was like, what if... What if that's how he is in this interview? Is he going to test me? Can I even, like, do this? Am I, am I going to be intimidated to yeah. talk to Gary Payton? And no, he walked in and he was warm. And I love those kind of interviews where all you have to do is listen. Give the man a topic. He'll go off on it. Like, I, I don't think I interrupt him too much in this interview. It was just a, he did say something about trash talk and mm-hmm. how people's mamas are fair game. I was like, word? Yeah, I was like, really? Really? Yeah. So I did, I did poke him on that one. And he said, yeah. So... Anyway, uh, Logan, there's just so much in this interview. I know people want to get to it. So without further ado, Gary Payton. Gary Payton, it is wonderful to talk to you. And I actually got a little piece of information that you are a Niners fan. I am. I am a big Niners fan. You know, I'm from the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. Um, Oakland, California is where I grew up at. When I was growing up, the Oakland Raiders had traded on me, went to went to Los Angeles, I didn't, I, you know, I don't really go for trade. You know, you you go you go from Oakland and then you go to L.A. and then you come back. I can't be back on your bandwagon. A lot of people mm-hmm. like to do that, so I became a 49er fan. So once I pick a team, I stay with a team. You know what I'm saying? Even if they they struggling or whatever. And being in Seattle, 
I got to see a lot of the Seahawks and the Mariners. I got good friends with uh, Cortez Kennedy, rest in peace, that was my, my best friend. And he got drafted in the same year I got drafted. You know, so we became tight. And that Seattle Seahawks wasn't that good during that time. And then Griffey became my buddy to see if the Mariners were good. So mm -hmm. I'm a Seattle guy because that's where Gary Payton became from, the glove. That's where it became from. That's where I became a Hall of Famer and stuff. So I'm a rep the city of Seattle until I die. You know, that is just what I do, you know, and, and that's where the fans there are great to me. And then, and then when they came and said, look, Let's just try to do this Monday Night Football and pump the Seahawks up. We are in the same division, the Niners and the Seahawks. We're tied now at 10 and 10 and 2. So I'm, I'm, I'm voting for both of them. So in the last game of the season, uh, which is in the, end, the end of December, I'm going to be at the game, and I'm just going to be neutral. Should I wear a jersey with half 49ers and half Seahawks? How can you be neutral? What got to. You got to be neutral. You can't go in Seattle and vote root. I, was, um, I, I, got, I, missed the, I missed the game in San Francisco. Because I was here, I yep. was at work, so on Monday night. But I, I got to be neutral. I, I can't do that. You know, it, it doesn't make sense to do that. I hope that the Niners win. Shoot, I hope that the Seahawks win. Whoever <laughs> wins, it just it's a just it's, it's good for me. It's a plus plus. Thirteen seasons with the Sonics, the leader in points and assists. You're a Defensive Player of the Year as well. I love the way you talk about the Sonics, and they've been gone for a while. They were snatched in 2008. What did you say? Seven, seven. 2007, seven, pardon me. Seven. I was going to say, you know instantly. Yeah, Where were you the moment you heard that news? You know what? I was, uh, just being, I was just retired. I had just retired, and then all of a sudden we were in the summer, and all of a sudden um, they called me and said that uh, trucks are about to be moved, coming in and going to the facility. And uh, I flew down there. And uh, I watched it, you know, looked at it. We, we had a protest that day. We were, we were really upset about it. Uh, the mayor let it just walk away. He just let it walk away. You know, we had this uh, Sacramento, I mean, not, not that was, that was um, after, but it was a thing that it was amazing that that happened because it was no fight. There was no fight for it. You know, our mayor, and, that, and then the next year he got voted out, you know, so, which was good. And it wasn't like what Kevin Johnson did for Sacramento Kings. It, it was just no fight. We didn't even go to uh, David Stern and say, look, hold on for a second. We can get somebody to buy the team. We can do this, you know, get them to stay, you know. But the guy came in from Oklahoma City, and he knew, he knew what he was going to do. You know, Katrina came. New Orleans had to move down to Oklahoma City. They sold out for two two years in a row. He knew that was a good market. And then he came in and got a struggling team with an owner that was really bad. You know, it was an owner that was really bad that we had. And he just gave the team away. And that was crazy. And we were in there for 49 years. 49 years in Seattle. And just give them to just give it away. You know, and, and it's just it's just heartbreaking still because the fans want it and, and, and we need it. Should basketball come back to Seattle? Absolutely. And it could it could be close. There's yeah. an arena deal happening right. there, a hockey team there. Do you want to be involved somehow? I am involved. Um, a lot of people don't know that I am involved. We got a we got a group that's that's gonna that's gonna try to make a bid for it. It's been a lot of groups out there. You know, it's been a lot of groups that want to say that they're gonna do, but they're not groups that take action. You know, the group that got the, the, the um, hockey team is the one who's building the building arena right now. Uh, they want to do some things with the um, with the with the NBA. They got to get a relationship with it. 
I, I think we got to get the right situation. It's not on the NBA. The NBA can't just say, hey, here, take a team away from somebody. You can't do that. And I don't think Adam Silver is about that. Uh, you can talk about doing expansions when the TV deal comes up in 2024. We don't know if that's going to happen. I don't think owners want to um, have two more teams. So we have to make the right decision and see what happens. And I think that Adam Silver and all the other owners know that Seattle is a good place to have another team. Mm -hmm. Everybody's talking about this Vegas stuff. No, Seattle is the best place to have it because we're already established. It's a great market up there in the Northwest. And, and I think they'll, they'll consider that before they'll consider anything else. I like how you talk about Seattle. It's like with your whole heart. I like how you talk about the Bay. And I got to ask you about growing up in Oakland because you usually you usually specify East Oakland. That's where I'm from. Why is that East an, Oakland. an important distinction to you? Because it's always a part. We got three parts in Oakland. It's North, North Oakland, East Oakland, and West Oakland. Okay. So people got to know where we're from because <laughs> if you come to Oakland, you are part of part. Damon Lillard is from East Oakland. He's from Brookfield. Now I'm from East Oakland. I'm from High Street. So that's a big part. And then North Oakland is over there in the other part, and West Oakland is another part. So when we talk about our cities, it's always everybody say the biggity, biggity, oh. All of us say that. That's why Dame got number zero because it's the oh. But we have to let you understand where we're really, really from because then if you really know anything about Oakland, you'll know it about the parts of Oakland. And you'll be like, oh, he's from that part. Oh, he's from that part. So I always say East Oakland because that's where I'm from. <laughs> it's a point of pride. And yeah. how, how did Oakland make you, not only as a player but as a man? Well, it made me because the city in the 80s were tough growing up as. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, I was born in the 60s. Then in the 70s, you're a little kid. You don't really know what's going on. Then when you get in the 80s, when you get in high school, junior high, you start understanding where you're from. You know, you mm -hmm. start understanding the city, how, how, how rough it is and how you can get lost in a lot of things. My father raised me in the right way. You know, if I wouldn't have had a father, I think I would have been I would have been lost. I think something else would have became of me because I would have been in the streets more and I would have been doing more things than I shouldn't. My father became the neighborhood father. Because I had a lot of friends that were only one parent homes, and that was their mother. Mm -hmm. So their mother out there trying to make bread and butter for them to eat, and their daddy nowhere to be found. So what do they do? My father bring them in. He gets a basketball team. He coaches us for our whole entire junior high, middle school, part of the high school time, and he raised us. You know, and he raised us the right way, and everybody come over to my house to spend a night, sleep, do things, uh, be over there to eat or whatever. And whenever they needed something, they would come to Pops. And mm -hmm. Pops would solve the court, solve it. Mm -hmm. And my daddy used to go around the high schools and see them out in the back. They might be smoking or something like that. And they'll see my daddy's truck and then they'll run in and then they'll be like, Miss Payton, I'm sorry, we, we about to go in right now. <laughs> so growing up and then going to every neighborhood and playing basketball and learning how to survive and learning how to be tough and rough and talk back, and going into their neighborhood and getting out, mm -hmm. you learn how to survive. And that's what I did. I just went to everybody's neighborhood, talked to all the trash I could, and it made me tough. It just made me the <laughs> guy who I am. Is trash talk a lost art in the NBA today? It is because people think now trash talking is more about being physical. It's mm -hmm. about, you know, you want to you wanna try to fight or whatever. In our era, we can talk about each other and we'll come back and talk about you the same way and don't get a hard feeling. We don't get hard feelings. Anything goes in trash talking to me. 
You know, um, even people's mamas. Even people's mamas. Yeah, I mean, if you talk about my mama, I know what some of my mama is really about. Mm -hmm. That's just you being soft inside. You say something about my mama, so what? Your mama in the same way. Your mama is the same thing that my mama is. Who cares? If you was with my wife last night, I was with yours last night too. So what? It doesn't matter. If you want that to be a part of the game, take it the way you want to, you, you dish it out. Because they're going to say something and you've got to have a tough skin and say, okay, that was a good one. Now let me see if you can handle this. But the whole part of that is, can you back it up? Can you back that trash talking up? Like, if you're getting killed, no, your feelings going to get into it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> then your feelings going to really get into it. So with yeah. me, it was about say whatever you want to say because I'm going to get at you. You know what I'm saying? Because once I start getting at you and the game start changing, how are you going to take this mouthpiece that I got? You know what I'm saying? This mouthpiece going to be rough. So it was it was all a game on. If, if I started, I got to finish it. Talk was such a fun part of your game, and you are one of the greatest point guards of all time. I can compliment you a little bit. Um, <laughs> as you watch the game now with your eyes, knowing who you were as a player, who are the point guards who are playing the game beautifully in today's game? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a, uh, a question that is kind of difficult for people <clears throat> because you look at Stephen Curry, you put him as a point guard. He's not a point guard. He's a two-guard. Mm -hmm. You look at West, uh, Westbrook, he's not a point guard. He's a two-guard. You look at uh, James Harden. He's not a point guard. He's a two-guard. You know what I'm saying? So you look at people like that. To me, it's only two guards in this league that are true point guards, and that's Rondo and Chris Paul. Mm. Now, Chris Paul has been starting to turn into a shooting guard more, but Rondo is a true point guard. He looks first to get people off. He does his defense, and he makes people better around him. Not, let me score 30 or nothing like that. Let me shoot a jump shot first. He's not doing that. If he's on a fast break, he's not going to pull up for a three. What he's going to do is he's going to observe everything, and then he's going to see what the right play is. If it's not a right play, he'll veer out and go the other way. You know, it's just like the kid Trey Young. That's not a really point guard. He's a scorer. You know, so if we name a lot of point guards right now in this NBA, they're not point guards. And if you look at them in college, where were they in college? There are two guards. Mm -hmm. So that's the difference of this era now. And them are the only two true point guards to me. Damon Lillard is trying to become one, but he's still a scorer. He scores basketball because of his team. His team has to have him score for them to even try to be successful. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's a difference, and, and I think it's only two to me that really, really are point guards who got the mentality of point guards, and that's Chris Paul and, and Rondo. What do you think about this blurring of the one and the two? Was that just evolution in the game, or is it something that irks you? Do you want the distinction between a point guard and a shooter? It's game? evolution here. I can't, I can't really, really just say yeah. it is. It does irk me mm -hmm. because that's not what a point guard is, is about. Mm -hmm. I look at a point guard in Magic Johnson. I look at a point guard in Isaiah Thomas. I look at guards like that. I look like a John Stockton. I look at them, and then I see point guards. You know, I see a Jason Kidd. I see a point guard. Mm -hmm. That's a point guard that makes everybody better around them and then they get they then they do what they have to do they take a game over when they need to take a game over okay. that's a point guard to me all right and i gotta ask you about the warriors on the warriors sideline reporter they are the worst team in the league right now <laughs> via the record by far how do they get through this season and make it into a positive making it a learning environment getting these guys minutes experience how do they come out the other side 
Well, this year's gone. I, I, I'm just going to say that. This year's gone. I, I, I wouldn't even bring Steph back. I wouldn't even bring Clay back. I wouldn't even bring none of them back. I'll let Clay have the whole year off, get his knee better. If he wants to come back at the end of the year, mm -hmm. I would let him practice. Then I would let him try to take one or two games to get his get himself in the thing. Yeah. Curry, I would do the same thing. Draymond Green, I would make him basically play every other game. I would make him. I would make him say, "I'll leave it up to him." Okay, how many games you want to play a week? Yeah. And what would you would do? Let's get a, let's get accustomed to these kids. What they're doing now is they're finding out some uh, diamonds in the rough. Pascal is a diamond in the rough. You didn't know he was going to be that good. You wouldn't have probably even thought and even knew he was going to be like this if them yeah. guys were there because he wouldn't even had a chance. Yeah. Okay, you're finding a diamond in the rough. Okay, so this year you're going to tank. You're going to be in a lottery. Okay, go pick somebody. Go get you a good basketball player come out of college. Then try to work it. Next year you're going to come back because you're going to get these guys back. Looney is going to be healthy. He just got back. Looney's going to be healthy. You're going to have pieces then. You're going to have some guys to, to work with. You're going to get back to who you are next year. You might not be a championship team, but you're going to get back. And I would just say, hey, just ride it out. Just see what you're going to, what you're going to do. You won, you won the championship five years in a row. Mm -hmm. You won three. You know, it happens. You lose a, a guy like Durant. It happens. You, know, you don't think it was going to ride out forever. You didn't think it was going to ride out forever. So I just say, this year... You find out what you got. You find out your diamonds in the, in the rough. You figure it out. Pascal's going to ask for some money. You, you got to know that. He's going to ask for cash. So what do we want to do? We want to keep him. We're going to get a player in the draft. We're going to be in a lottery. We're going to be in the top ten picks. So what do you want to do? So, And that's what Kerr has to think. And I think that's what their, their organization is doing. I think that's what the organization is doing. You got a new arena out there. Only thing you think about is, why did we have to open it up right now? You know, why, why did we have to open up this new arena and get these, these fans to understand that in San Francisco? It's not like Oakland. Oakland is a little bit different. I mean, the fans were a little different today. I don't think a lot of Oakland fans are coming to San Francisco. But you take it, you ride with it. I think the fans understand. They don't have nothing there yet. They don't have nothing there. You know what I'm saying? They, they're surviving. There are a lot, a lot of young kids that's playing hard. They're playing really hard. You got the kid Burks mm -hmm. can score. You got you, you finding out what he really can do. He's doing 20 know. off the bench. Yeah, that's what he's doing, you know, and, and, and he's a scorer. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So you're finding these guys. So you just say, hey, we're going to be about, at the most, they'll probably win 17, 18 games. At the most. They'll win 17, 18. And you think about it, and we just, we just call it a wash. And then you get all your guys back. You get your key guys back next year. You become that Golden State Warrior team again with some new, with some new life in it, with some young legs, with with some good pick, with a good pick or so. And and then you ride it out from there. But don't think about the Warriors are are gone. They're not gone, you know, because everybody's not gone. It, it, it's just a season that they got to go through. They go have to take their lumps. You know, Draymond got to he got to stop talking about all that crazy stuff. Take the lumps. You're good. You're gonna be all right. He he'll be fine too. You know, I know him. I know him really personally. He he knows what's up. He, he just gotta he gotta go out there and fight back. You know what I'm saying? But he will. And I think they'll take their lumps, and next year they'll be back. Gary Payton, thank you so much for your insights. I appreciate you. No problem. No problem at all. Thank you. Hey, it's Tom Haverstrow here, your national NBA insider at NBC Sports and host of the Haverstrow podcast. 
You're going to want to listen to this latest episode with Kobe Stan's arch rival ESPN's Amin El Hassan. The former Phoenix Suns executive gets into the Los Angeles Lakers' amazing start. There's a difference between me saying your schedule has been easy and you're not good. I never said the Lakers weren't good. We talk about Utah's slide from contender status, and we get into some stories from his Suns-Lakers series behind the scenes when he was with the Suns. So go check out The Haber Show. That's H-A-B-E-R-S-H-O-W, wherever you listen to podcasts. That was the one and only Gary Payton, Hall of Famer, nine-time All-Star and NBA champion who currently yeah. works as an analyst for Turner Sports. Yeah. yeah. He contributes to the warm-up, which is NBA TV's studio show. It Tap airs in. weeknights at 3 p.m. Pacific. Uh, touches on all the stuff, Logan. Latest news, off- on-site reports, social media topics, and fantasy updates from around the league. And you can also catch Gary Payton on Yahoo Sports, The Bounce. Karis. You did a phenomenal job on that interview. Thank you. I had a lot of fun. I do have one thing, though. Yeah, what's up? I was very jealous during oh, that Oakland talk. Shit. During the Oakland talk, man, when he was talking about how his pops, you know, had a lot of kids, you know, around the neighborhood who were, some were fatherless and some want, did have stories, but they needed a guiding figure, and his dad was that. Yeah. That really hit home for me, especially, you know, that was that was kind of the Oakland I grew up in, you know, um, just people around and a lot of people that look like me that were OGs that did keep us off the street. So I appreciated that interview so much. So oh. thank you for doing that. Well, thank you. Like I said, off t- I mean, thank you for handing that to me, for trusting that to me, because when we went over some topics for Gary, it had to be Oakland. I had to ask him about Oakland, specifically East Oakland. Had to make sure we got that distinction in there, and that was for you. I think he was so happy to get that question. Yeah, for sure. He was off high, he's off High Street, which is, which, is kind of, which is midway deep in East Oakland. And then he talked about how Dame Lillard is kind of off toward the, toward the end of East Oakland, toward San Leandro. I really got a visual from that one, the way he was talking. So it was really cool. Anytime you hear Gary Payton talk, it's like a, it's, it's a lot of expletives, one. And two... <laughs> He's really like an Oakland OG. Like you could, t- you can definitely tell that when you hear him talk, mm-hmm. and you can hear that through him. You got him a little excited on this. Oh, one. good, thank you. Like I mean, I just let him go on some stuff. You, you know, got like, him for I'm twenty listening. minutes, dog. It was a lot I know. of. No, and you know what they told me? Eight minutes. Eight minutes. <laughs> yes. Wow. I was like, now nah, I'm just gonna keep going. Yeah, yeah. And he was good. I, I hope he was entertained by it because he's got a lot of great things to say about the league, and you always want to talk to the people who came before for to sure. hear them talk about the people now. And um, one of the things I did to research some topics was um, I actually came across his Players Tribune article. He was mm-hmm. talking about growing up. He was talking about how his father was a really tough man but very respected in the neighborhood. His dad's nickname was Mr. Mean. Yes. I didn't know that until I read that. For sure. Did you yeah. know that? I mean, yeah. Yeah, Mr. Mean is a legend. Yeah, Mr. Mean. I just feel like and the one thing that he talked about was the time when he grew up. He was born in the late 60s was had to grow up through the 80s and you got to understand that was a very very pivotal time in Oakland that was when the crack mm-hmm. epidemic hit there was a lot of people whose parents were strung out on drugs and a lot of people who grew up fatherless because of because of drugs and on the flip side of that you needed guys like Gary Payton's dad to kind of uh, you know, make sure somebody had a path because you got a lot of kids that were growing up fatherless and without parents and without any direction. 
Um, you know, people talk a lot about drug dealers, wouldn't rightfully so. But in that in that instance, there was really no opportunities. I mean, the only opportunity to make money in that instance, you know, at least at, from that vantage point, was to make the money on that scale was to sell drugs, or you would go the other way and be a user. The, the you know, the legends in that game was was Felix Mitchell and all these big time drug dealers, and um, you know, it was also great to get the other side of that when you see a guy like Mr. Mean who mm-hmm. will be like, nah, this is not a way. I will coach you from mm-hmm. middle school all the way on. You guys don't have to see this path. And I think it's so important to see that because when you talk about, you know, African-Americans in this light, um, there's always, it goes back to the biggie verse, either you slang crack rock or you got a wicked jump shot. But there's so many other opportunities that we just had to see. And you had a guy like Mr. Mean who really just, you know, who did that. And sometimes you need tough love. And yeah. you need people to tell you how it is but and show you through action why they love you. He probably was mean to you from an outside perspective, but he's you can get in my car and we can go and we can I will coach you, I'll take you to all the tournaments, I will let you see a different light. Yeah. So I appreciated that and you know, we needed a lot of that, especially you know, where I was growing up. Yeah, Gary Payton got out. One of the questions I didn't get to ask, I had a whole list, but in my mind I was like eight minutes, though it went about twenty. Um, was what was it like going from Oakland at that time? to Oregon State. Yeah. How much of a culture shock was that? That's in Beaverton, yeah. Yeah, it, it's an agricultural agricultural part of Oregon. Oregon uh, does not have a lot of people of color. Like, what was that like for him? Um, shoot, didn't get to that one, though. Um, I always think as an interviewer about the questions I didn't ask, sometimes maybe more so than the ones That's I did. That's crazy you said that. I do was, you do that, too? Yeah, I yeah. was like, even... To be honest, even in the Steve Kerr interview that we just did, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're listening back, and it's crazy because we're so we're so we're so in our own way that we don't really listen to it for the entertainment value. We listen to um, our podcast to like, you know, just kind of you know critique ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I went around thinking about the Steve Kerr interview, like, man, I, oh, I should have followed up here, or I should have yeah. followed up here. Why yeah. didn't I ask this question? I yes. Had this down. So I feel you on that one. And it's, but it's also weird because we only get a certain amount of time with this person. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't get two hours. I think you said you got, what, you had like 20 minutes with them? But it there's what them. they tell you you have, and then there's There's a happy what meeting you between actually, what they tell yeah. you versus And I want to push get. it a little bit. I probably could have asked them one or two more, but there was somebody else standing in the room, you know, kind of tapping their toe a little bit like, all right, let's go. For so, sure, for sure. But, know. yeah, like, I, I definitely agree with you. Yeah, that. and as we figure out each other in these interviews, I, I was listening to the Steve Kerr one again, too, because um, I really like your questions, and I want to let you get cooking. And then, like, there's two of us, two interviewers sitting side by side. Yeah. We're waiting for our turn to ask our questions. We hear what we think are natural follow-ups, but I don't want to step on your stuff. i got to yeah. let you get going. So I like – shoot, I'm going to compliment us, but I like what we're building together, and I really like to work with you. I really like to work with you, too. <laughs> okay. I feel like that's every episode. I know. <laughs> I can't wait to the – we don't have much time on this one, but I can't wait until the next, like, 45-minute-long Logan yeah. era podcast. Oh, the ones where we just talk? Yeah, yeah sure. I'm really That's going to happen too. very soon, guys. Yeah. Um, hey, one of the things we're kicking around for these podcasts is uh, a little segment called, What Are You Mad About Today? Yeah. Um, what are you mad about, Kareth Burke? I was trying to think about that on the way in, because I definitely get mad about stuff, yeah. but I'm also trying not to carry that stuff around in my mind too much. We should carry it into this segment. I know, but I forgot. I needed like some kind of prompt, or I needed to write something down. I don't okay. know. Some, let me just look at Twitter real quick, and I'll find something I'm mad about. Just look but at your mentions. I'm sure you <laughs> what about mentions? I sent you one, huh? I sent you, you sent one the other one. day. Ooh, 
I sent you tell, one the other okay, day. Don't, without being specific, tell me about some mentions that sh- that are pissing you off. What? Okay. What are the types of mentions that piss you off? Well, it's um, mailbag questions that are um, uh, just sexist, just mm-hmm. just really sexist. That's all. We'll put, put it that way. And then, so for <laughs> I want to let v- listeners know, I sent I wrote up a draft. I took a picture of it and yeah. I sent it to Logan to be like, yeah. should I send this? And I sent I it to my I sent it to my husband too. <laughs> I didn't give a I didn't listen. But I was like, my fingers hovering. Do I press send I'm on this? Say, Do I murder a man right now? Without 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 <laughs> giving the context of what the tweet was, <laughs> it was mad disrespectful. And I didn't give you an answer. <laughs> I just I said, yo, I didn't give you an answer either way. What did your husband say? Did you um, husband? He said, absolutely do not press send on that. Oh, okay, because <laughs> I was said. liable to like, the reason why I didn't say anything is because I was liable to say, press that. Press that, yeah, I know, I know. But you, like, that's why I, I just hit responded to you in all caps. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm not afraid to check somebody, but my husband made a good point. It's like, this dude has 10 followers and if people are like, who is this fool, like, on my behalf, then they click his page, and then they see all of his ads. He had a bunch of ads for a bunch of crap. Right. So I just didn't want to step in the trap. Well, okay, and that's so, smart. All right, this is an interesting conversation that we can have before we get to what I'm mad about. Okay. I do have a question for you. Yeah, please. You check your mentions a lot. I do. A little uh, bit more f- than I do. Well, I need it's fan interaction. I, I get it. <laughs> I, I, listen, I get it. We've had this conversation a lot. I know, I know. What makes you more inclined to respond than I am? To mean people or just to any people? To mean people. I get mean comments uh, all the time. Uh, it's just sort of standing up to being like, why did you think this was appropriate? It's just sort of like, hey, there's another person on the end of this. Like, why did you think, you think that this you was something appropriate to, to say? Are going to be like, oh, well, I guess I shouldn't just start adding random people anymore. Like they do. Like they have a thousand tweets. All I, of them are adding people. No, you're right. It, I kind of feel it out first. Um, and sometimes I have said to somebody, why did you feel like that was appropriate? And then the response has been, I'm sorry. Really? So there is something to it. If I can tell that this is just some kind of fool with no picture. Well, what if picture, it's just an egg? Like, I get it. I don't respond to those ones. You don't I don't respond to the no, eggs? No, okay, I don't respond to sure. that way. No, if it's people, it's like, it's you can kind of get a little too hot takey, or you can get too familiar with people, or you could, like, there's some weird tonal like things in my mentions that I'm like, mm, you don't know me like that. Straight so. up. And I feel like eggs and, like, pictures of Golden State Warriors and their profile pictures are all the same people. Maybe. But I don't know. In general, I do want to say, like, 95% of my interactions with fans are positive. I'm really happy for that. Um, and I don't respond a lot. I've actually reduced the amount of responding or, like, conversations I get myself into. Um, but sometimes I'm just not in the mood. I want to check somebody because it's rude, and I don't like that. Well, you know, you know what it is. Anybody <laughs> got a problem with K, we ride. Anywho. Okay, Logan, what are you mad about today? I am mad about something that is kind of hitting home for me. Okay. It is homelessness in Oakland. And let me just shoot some numbers at you right now. Mm-hmm. In the past two years, homelessness has increased 47% in the city of Oakland, with a 68% increase in the number of unsheltered people. 70% of those people are African American, which is less now than a quarter percent of the population in Oakland. Mm-hmm. Remember, Oakland used to be a very black city. Yeah. Well, gentr- and it's it really pains me right now that we see all this widespread homelessness in Oakland, but it's in the most prosperous state it's ever been. It's the it's it's become a tech hub. It's become one of the greatest cities to live in, and things like that. Yeah. But we're not helping our own, and it's we're not helping 
the historically marginalized groups. Mm-hmm. And I and I and it hurts me to see this because there's this thing about all oh, it's a, you know we're in this liberal utopia where everyone you know is supposed to be included and it's supposed to be equal and once again the system is failing people of color. It's not even people of color, black people who are on the fo- are on the streets and no one's helping them. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching The Joker maybe a month ago, and I, rem- I don't know if you watched. Did you watch The Joker? No, but tell me. There's a part in the end where the Robert De Niro, he's coming in. Uh, Robert De Niro's in the movie. He's like a late night guy, like Robert, like uh, David Letterman or someone. And he's interviewing a Joker who's had this amazing acclaim just you know over the last few weeks. So they invite him on the show and all these things, and they start talking to him, and the and the Joker goes. You guys walk over me all the time. You know, some to the effect of why do you guys care? And I feel like we walk over these people all the time. We see them every day. They're really going through a lot. And we see them. They might act for change. We just act like they're like the invisible men and women and children. Mm -hmm. And that's what's really making me pissed nowadays. I think that we see that there are a lot of organizations that are helping people's breakfast, as you guys have seen. There are organizations that are helping. But for the most part, it's, it's a widespread epidemic here. And, um, you know, a lot of these people are living in very inhumane conditions Mm -hmm. and very unspeakable things. And I think that I don't know what's going to happen. I just know that I'm mad every time I see it. Yeah. I was thinking about that when the rains came through. Like absolute downpours. Um, And Oakland is and was a city of black excellence. And I think the lack of help and resources there, I think it's part of a larger conversation of who deserves help and some of the racism that's that's involved with with just the perceptions of poverty. Sure. You know what I mean? It's almost like, wow, this got deep, but it's important. I'm, it's When it comes to poverty, it's a lot easier to think that people deserve to be there, they did something to be there, um, that they have problems that... You know, other people don't. So this was their own doing. And I think that's what helps keep this hierarchy of have and have nots. That if you can, in your mind, think that people who are in poverty are bad, then you don't have to help them. And that's not the case. Because, yeah, there's so many children in poverty. There's so many people who, I mean, it's getting so expensive here. There's so many people who could afford to live in Oakland, could afford to do that when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. And and now those same people... a lot of them are on the streets right now. There's mm-hmm. an article. I'll probably put it out at some point, but there's an article in the uh, San Francisco Chronicle that really just, like, like a better word, chronicles all these things <laughs> and these people that says, I can't even afford to live in the city that I grew up in anymore. It's a new city. It's all these things that are going on, but I feel like they're the forgotten people. And um, it's definitely hard to look at. I you know, you drive down West Grand or drive down West Oakland, there are literally communities of tents mm-hmm. that people, that the city of Oakland are evicting. Mm-hmm. And to your point about, you know, who gets help and who doesn't, it's hard to see when people, black people are the ones that are constantly the ones that are having to get kicked out. Whereas, you know, maybe another, you know, more privileged race would probably, you know, oh, let's get them help. Let's get them shelter. Let's get mm-hmm. them food and water. But here it's just like, no, we want to kick you out. Yeah. There's nowhere to go. And, you know, I feel like that's what pisses me off every time, you know, I drive through my city. Yeah. I want to be more of a homeless advocate because you see stories about the way homeless people are written about. There are stories that 
you, you're talking about homelessness without talking to homeless people. For sure. And then, like, just, I don't know. Can I preach? Because I feel like the problem with homelessness is that humans don't have shelter. Not that people like me have to see that squalor. Right. Okay? The problem with homelessness is humans don't have shelter. Right. And I, like, why, why, why do you have to clear tents? Like, why do you have to let people be, let people live, they're doing their best, just leave them alone? Yeah, you know, um, you know If sure. there are ways in which they need help with um, sanitary things, do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, I mean, like, I will say this. It just has to come from a place of compassion. For sure, and I just feel like, you know, I, I will say this, I don't know I, if I have all the answers to this. I don't. Um, but I just know I don't like it. Yeah. And I know that I don't like seeing this. I don't like it's it's it hurts every time I see it. It's mm-hmm. and it's becoming more and more prevalent in Oakland. Mm-hmm. You know, in a place that you know, oh man, it's the new hip place. Oh man, I love it. Oh my goodness. I love I love Oakland. It's so great. And I just feel like the true essence of Oakland is now being is now on the streets. And these new people that are coming in mm-hmm. are looking at it like, oh, it's a great place. Oh, I don't like these people. Oh, I don't like these people. I'm, dr- I'm, I'm going yeah, into these yeah. new neighborhoods. Oh, I There's don't like. There's some loaded, loaded stuff when you're like, oh, don't go there. That neighborhood's sketchy or that neighborhood's ghetto. For or sure. Like, like, mm. Yeah, or like we move into <laughs> these places. They already have their community set. Yeah. But you moved in as a guest, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, I need to call the cops. Oh, my goodness. It's so loud. Oh, my. Oh my. But like, no, but you moved in there. I know. And you move in that community, but you, I mean, I guess you guys have the power to change that, but it's still annoying. We're going off on a tangent, no, but I'm pissed okay. off about But And you should be. Stuff. And actually, you reminded me to do um, a really good thing this year, and it's a simple thing that um, any of our listeners can do, too. Anytime we're at a hotel, because we travel yeah. a lot, scoop up those shampoos and conditioners and soaps. It's the little travel guys. They're just small for us, but they can make a difference for somebody else. Um, I have a bag for you at home, actually. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for a whole sure. bunch. Um, but you, uh, you give those out at the people breakfast yeah, yeah so yeah sure. just little things little steps um little pieces of um compassion that we can all do right. all right that was this episode of run and plays we'll be back soon with the next one peace y'all Jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.